Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Friends, our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 9. We'll take a look at verses 1 through 20. So again, this is Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. But Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against his disciples, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. My friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. And Saul approved of their killing him. Friends, this is how we are introduced to the man who would end up writing most of our New Testament. 
In the book of Acts, toward the end of chapter 7, with the stoning of Stephen, we are told that witnesses against Stephen had laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. What were they witnesses to? They were witnesses to Stephen's speech before the Jewish high priest and his council where he defended his faith in Christ Jesus. Where he spoke of God's message of a crucified Christ and against many things the Jewish higher-ups were teaching and doing. He was labeled a heretic, drug out of town, and stoned. After the stoning in chapter 8, it starts with these words, and Saul approved of their killing him. But then chapter 8 continues, and it says this, That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, pay attention here, but Saul was ravaging the church, by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. Saul, entering homes in Jerusalem of known followers of Jesus, dragging them out, committing them to prison where most would have faced death as their penalty for going against the temple. Can you just picture the scene? Can you imagine the terror? A man and a few of his buddies busting into a house, ransacking it, forcibly taking people out of their homes, all because they follow Jesus. I wanted to just start there because the first words of our lesson in Acts says, Meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. An insatiable desire for blood. An insatiable desire for punishment. An insatiable desire for force. It is in this frame of mind that he goes to the high priest and says, Hey, I need a letter so I can bring this particular brand of terror to Damascus. Why there, you may ask? Well, because Jesus' followers at this time, by and large, were still Jewish. And so where did they worship? Synagogue. And so Saul needed permission to enter into the synagogues and roughly take everybody out. He wanted permission to be able to go into Damascus and hunt them down. To find them, to bind them, to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and punishment. Yet you and I now know that he never made it there to do what it was he intended. A light from heaven flashed so brightly that he was forced to his knees. And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then later, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I was struck by that statement this week. It was the first time, honestly, that I ever really noticed it. As many times as I've read this story, and here's why. Saul never met with, at least that I can tell, pre-crucifixion Jesus. Saul never met with post-resurrection Jesus. 
Saul meets Jesus for the first time here after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The two have never physically been in the same place at the same time. And though up to this point he has arrested and beaten and harassed any number of people, none of the people are Jesus. I could find no record where Saul went into a house where Jesus was and he grabbed Jesus and took Jesus out and took Jesus to prison. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. So how is it that Jesus can say that Saul is persecuting him? The answer partially is in Matthew 25, 40. When Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did also to who? The rest of the answer is found, ironically, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, written by this same blind persecutor that says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Friends, what Jesus is showing us here is just how much you and I, as his followers, are truly part of his body. He is showing Paul and us just how much he feels any kind of pain or suffering that any of his beloved encounter. Whatever happens to us, friends, happens to him. But what that also means is whatever we do, we also do to him. One of my commentaries puts it this way. All sin, regardless of its character, is ultimately directed against God. There's no such thing as private or personal sin. Every sin that is committed affects others, but in its terminal point, every sin affects God. Saul thought he was persecuting meaningless Christians. Instead, he was persecuting the Lord God of heaven. This is the same reaction given by the young Joseph when Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce him. He responded to her, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Even the prodigal son recognized this, for when he came to himself, he determined to return to his father and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. In anger, sin might be directed against an object. In lust, sin may be directed against a person, but in actuality, all sin is directed against God. That's kind of tough, isn't it? To think that any time we sin, and friends, we do, but that any time we sin, we sin against the one that made us. We sin against the one that bled for us. We sin against the one that died for us. I mean, that's heavy. And yet, and yet he keeps on searching for us. He keeps on coming for us. He keeps on trying to rescue us. Because that's what happened here, right? Even though Saul has sinned against Jesus again and again and again, even though Saul has persecuted Jesus again and again and again, Jesus came to him. And he came to rescue him from, I guess, really himself. And that should be good news to all of us, friends. 
What this story highlights for us is that there is no one beyond the saving reach of Jesus. There is no one beyond the saving reach of Jesus. If someone like Saul could become someone like Paul, then friends, there is hope for everyone. As Paul would write later in Ephesians chapter 2, even those who are dead in sin, imprisoned by the power of sin, captive to the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and who are object of God's wrath, even those people can be made alive with Christ. Whatever you have done, whatever you have thought, whatever you have said, you are not dead in that trespass. You can be made alive in Christ. Repent and believe the good news. But that's still just half the story. I'm sure every time you hear this story preached, it's all about Paul's conversion, as well it should be. But why don't we talk a little more about his commissioning? His conversion was not just a ticket into heaven. It was the beginning of his task to take the gospel to all ends of the earth. The rest of the story, so to speak, is hinted at with the last word in verse 6. It says simply, do. You will be told what you are to do. Conversion always leads to commission. Let me say that again. Conversion always leads to commission. Jesus didn't come to Saul merely so Saul could become a Christian. He changed Saul to a Christian so he could do a particular work. One of my seminary professors used to say, we are saved from sin and saved to serve. Paul's fellow missionary Peter put it this way in his first letter. He says, once we were not a people, but now we are a chosen people belonging to God. Why were we chosen? That we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, each of you has a conversion story. Each of you has a story where you met the risen Christ. And while for some of you it may not have been a blinding light kind of moment, you had a moment with Jesus where you had to re-examine your life and figure out who was it exactly that you want to follow. But you weren't converted solely because or so that you could call yourself a Christian. You were converted so that you could do your part in spreading the gospel message. A friend of mine in Camden had a saying that I was very fond of. He said, are you standing on the promises or are you sitting on the premises? What he's getting at is that if your only service to Christ is coming in here on Sunday mornings and sitting down, that's not enough. Now don't get me wrong, we appreciate it. But that's not enough. If I were to ask you what ways you served Christ this past week, what would you say? Friends, there are plenty of opportunities here to get involved. We always need volunteers. And if that's not what you consider to be your thing, get involved in our community. Go volunteer at one of the schools. Help out with the charity that's fond to you. Everybody in here has a gift and a talent given to you by the Almighty. So what we got to do is figure out a way to use it 
to bring more people to Christ so we can make heaven as crowded as it possibly can be. And you want to know the best way to figure out how you can be in service to the Lord? By being in the company of other Christ followers. Saul would not have known what to do and he would not have been able to do it if he had not been around a community of believers beginning with Ananias. Again, one of my commentaries says this, a call is not simply a matter between me and Jesus, but something that requires the discernment, confirmation, and direction of the community of faith. There is a place for solitude, for individual fasting and praying and studying and thinking, but we will not be able to go into all the world and make disciples without the support and encouragement of the gathered body of Christ. Think of it this way. Jesus could have told Saul directly what he wanted him to do with the rest of his life, but he chose to speak to and minister through an ordinary believer named Ananias. The church is literally the body of Christ on earth. We cannot do anything without it. That's why you've got to surround yourself with other Christ followers. Charles Campbell used to teach at that divinity school over in Durham. <laughs> and I love the way he summarizes this story. He says, the living Christ is loose in the world, encountering people and shaping the community of faith, often in surprising ways, for our mission in the world. In the presence of the living Christ, persecutors become allies who share the suffering of the persecuted. Ordinary believers provide the gift of discernment. Enemies become brothers and sisters. Violence is replaced by witnesses. Ordination, baptism, and the Eucharist become vehicles for the transforming and empowering work of the Spirit. And the Word is lived and proclaimed in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. The Word is lived and proclaimed in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love that, friends. Lived and proclaimed. Lived and proclaimed. Lived and proclaimed. Do we do that? Do we both live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so, friends, as this is a communion Sunday, I encourage you to let this day be the day where you come to understand just how valuable and loved you really are. Repent of those things that you know are sins against Jesus. Let go of those things that you know are sins against Jesus. Know that you are forgiven of all of it. Feel yourself filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, friends, we're going to get up together and come take this holy meal together. And we will find ourselves strengthened to go out these doors... And live out the commission given to each and every one of us. Which is what? To live and proclaim Christ and Him crucified. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.